Hey there, get ready to listen to the affairs of the black diasporas. You are about to learn, live, and enjoy life lessons we black people have experienced throughout history. Welcome to Unlocking Our Voices, where we seek to unify the black diasporas, eradicate inequality, racial profiling, and the general lack of respect. Let's open our mouths and minds with your host, Greg Fuller. Hello to all our listeners from the Black Diaspora, particular to those living in the United States. Welcome to another episode of Unlocking Our Voices. I am your amazing host, one and only, Greg Fuller. Now, we have touched on many different topics since the conception of this program, but I would love to hear from our listeners in terms of what topic you think we should be discussing that is affecting the um, people of the black diasporas, whether it be in the United States or whether it be in the Caribbean, in Latin America, or on the continent of Africa. I want you to be reminded that this show was created for you, black people. And I make no apology when I say that this show was created for you, black people. I saw the need, and as such, Unlocking Our Voices was created. Now, if you have a topic that you would like to discuss, you can always send your information to info at unlockingourvoices.com. That is info at unlockingourvoices.com. Because this show, as I mentioned, was created for you, black people. You are tremendously dear to my heart. And it is only when you let your voices be heard is when people begins to hear your stories which can put concerns into actions and actions into change and change into empowerment. So rise and let your voices be heard. For me, education means to inspire people to live more abundantly, to learn to begin with life as they find it and make it better. Carter G. Woodson. And one of the many concerns that have always troubled me for many years is the state of black education in the United States. Almost 200 plus years ago, in these United States of America, black education was a crime that was punishable by death if a black person was caught reading or writing. It took white Americans to fight a bloody civil war to bring an end to black slave labor in 1865. The federal government, then under the leadership of Abraham Lincoln, established the Freeman's Bureau to help poor whites and the newly free black people in the South. One of those programs that was established was a school program that was established for black people 
in the United States. In just a few weeks, Washington, D.C. will cut the ribbon on a brand new high school. Well, not entirely new. The nation's first black public high school, Paul Lawrence Dunbar High, opened its doors in 1870. But more than 140 years later, Dunbar High, like many urban high schools, has fallen on hard times. Graduation rates hover below 60 percent, and students have been walking the halls of a crumbling, brutalist-style building often described as looking like a prison. But it wasn't always that way. Yes, you just heard that was a small um, introductory clip that was done by NPR. I believe this was in 2013, in which a program was done by NPR on the first black Um, high school that was established ever in the United States. So we see after the ending of the Civil War in 1865, five years later in 1870, Dunbar High School became the first public high school for black children in the United States. And in fact, was the first public high school in Washington, D.C., It was the first preparatory high school for black youth. And we see that Dunbar's students and teachers became some of the most notable blacks in the United States. From 1870 until 1955, when the U.S. Supreme Court declared segregation in the District of Columbia public schools unconstitutional. And then we see follow-up by Brown versus Board of Education, which eventually dismantled um, segregation in the educational system for um, blacks and everyone else in the United States. When we look at Dunbar, though, was able to attract teachers. This is before integration took place. You know, Dunbar was able to attract teachers with outstanding credentials because most colleges at the time did not hire black professors. Neither did employers in most profession that required college degree. So we see as a result of segregation, right, black people was able to establish an elite um, high school and it was the first in the nation. Some of the most brilliant scholars like Richard Greener, the first black graduate of Harvard College, and Anna Cooper, an outstanding educator and the first black graduate of the University of um, Paris um, in, in, in Paris, France. And we also see that Carter G. Woodson, the father of black historians, also graduated from Dunbar High School. So when you look at segregation, in now, and keep in mind, this is my opinion, when you look at segregation, segregation sustained black excellence, in my opinion. And many notable black Americans made a positive impact on society. But We know that as a result of the unfair equality and funding when it comes to black schools, it created tremendous problems. And when we fast forward in 2023, black 
it, black schools are faced with tremendous problem, right? We see some of the same problem persist today in terms of poor management as a result of integration. And each year, the National Center for Education Statistics gives its report on the condition of education in the United States. It gives us a, a snapshots of the status of education. And in 2020, the annual report, like all the other reports before it, shows that black students continue to trail behind their white, Asian, and Hispanic peers on most academic indicators. It is imperative that we, shine, we shed some light on why this persists and why black schools are underperforming in 2023. It is only in recent years that black ed educators start raising their concern and unlocking their voices when it comes to the failure of black schools. As you know, unlocking our voices focus specifically on the black diasporas, the culture, the people, their stories, their issues, injustices, and the varying measures used to prolong our oppression and marginalization. On the website of the encyclopedia.com on education, it states that African-American, it states that whites have traditionally determined the type and extent of education for African-Americans in the United States. These educational policies have largely reflected the prevailing white culture ideas about the role of blacks in society, specifically their relations with non-blacks. Thus, public activity in this area has mirrored closely the general attitudes of the white majority towards black minority. Both whites and blacks have recognized the relationship between education and roles, so policies related to education of African Americans have extended from a more white perspective. And this, you know, we're getting this information based on what the encyclopedia.com um, states on education when concerning African Americans. I've always had an issue because I believe that when it comes to black education, especially when you're in predominantly black neighborhood, it is black people that should set the agenda. It is black people that should set the curriculum that can reflect and identify um, with the people in which they're educating. Because I don't believe that a culture especially in the United States, who has had a history of violating black people, they should not have a right to educate us, right? Um, because I think education, if we give that the responsibility of the dominant culture who have been oppressing black people 
for centuries. How can we trust them to educate our kids? And when you look at the public schools, often when you look at the public school, many of the teachers that are in the urban public school, they don't reflect the people that they're trying to educate. And I tremendously have a problem and an issue with that. Now, unlocking our voices, guys, aim is to connect peoples of the black diasporas in new and exciting ways, equipping them with the tools, the platform, and access that allows them to trace their history and also to point to how an understanding of the past influences the very present that they live in ultimately impressing upon them that they hold the keys to shaping their own future by way of dialogue and working together and by means of face-to-face or virtual constructive conversation. We seek to evolve and enhance ourselves spiritually, mentally, socially, politically, and economically. Now, In today's episode, I would like to focus on education in the United States as it pertains to black kids in the the public school and also on the college level. For this conversation, we have an educator, a motivational speaker, who is also an author that is going to be our guest on today's Unlocking Our Voices. Our guest, Dr. Richard Cross, is committed committed to helping students he serves to realize that they have what it takes to achieve academic success. A thoughtful leader, right? When we look at Dr. Cross, he is an empowerment and a transformational educator and a researcher in the emotional, intelligent achievement and uh, motivation when it comes to doing research and talking about blacks or black youth being successful on the college level. He encourages his students to realize that they are not bound to their circumstances, but for them to understand and to know they have what it takes to achieve whatever goals they set their minds to accomplish. Dr. Cross received his BS and master's degree from Lincoln University in Missouri in both criminal justice and also in sociology. In addition, he earned his doctorate degree from Clark Atlanta University in higher education with a focus on educational leadership. If that has not impressed you yet, Dr. Cross is also the author of over 30 plus books, including Going Beyond Limitation and the Student Oracles, also a series he, he has also written a series of journals from helping to develop self-discipline and behavior modification. With that being said, I would like to welcome 
Dr. Cross to unlocking our voices. Dr. Cross. Uh, Mr. Fuller, thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, how you hear me? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear, sir. Man, thanks for having me, you know, on unlocking our voices. It's a pleasure uh, sharing with you and the great work that you're doing, um, you know, just to get the message out there to inspire and empower others. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, um, sir. And for those listeners who don't know, um, Dr. Cross and I were once colleague at Atlanta Metropolitan State College and also at um, Atlanta Clark University. And, you know, I, I remember when we first met, I, I believe was at Atlanta Clark, Atlanta, no, at um, Atlanta Metropolitan yeah, Atlanta Metropolitan State College. And this was many years ago. <laughs> you know, I, I remember when we first, we, 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 we first met, you had this militant type um, personality that, you know, I was, I was wondering whether or not, you know, you were um, in the military or in the army or something like that, because, you know, you had this, you know, this, this military type, um, ness about you, but you know we'll we'll get into all of that um, later on, though. But I want to be transparent and let you know that unlocking our voices, as you know, um, aim is to elevate the vision and the mission of His Right Excellent Marcus Messiah Garvey, which you know is a Jamaican-born Black nationalist and the leader of the. Pan-Africanism movement, which highlight the common ground between people of African descent across the world and aim to unify and to connect them. So to get, you know, in, in, in our conversation, how, how has things been, man? Man, things are uh, going pretty good. You know, just staying focused and doing the work that I believe um, is necessary. Uh, my focus currently mostly to empower the black male students Okay. Because, you know, they're the ones sometimes who get left behind. And from what I've found in research, it's not really a cognitive issue we're dealing with. It's right. more so how they are socialized right, and right. how, you know, what they're doing in society. So, you know, that's where my focus is. But things going pretty good, man. Okay. Well, that, that's good. That's good to hear because, you know, it's it's been a long time since you and I have really, you know, seen each other after so many years of, you know, um, leaving Atlanta and, you know, traveling to different parts of, of the state and also into different um, country. Now, question, as, as you know, you know, you're from Jamaica. I am from Jamaica. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that it wasn't until I migrated to the United States that I really got rediscovered back of Gavi, so to speak. And I'm just curious, Correct. you know, uh, uh, about your background. What were your experience like growing up in Jamaica and knowledge of Marcus Garvey? Well, great question. Um, like yourself, I didn't really get a lot of knowledge about Marcus Garvey um, until I get to the United States. You know, mm -hmm. what I know about Marcus Garvey, you know, when I was growing up in Jamaica, that he was a national hero. Right. And that they had a school um, named after him, you know, in high school. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what I know about 
uh, Marcus Messiah Garvey. I didn't really know the impact that he had on the black community, especially here in the United States. So it was when I got here, I have Americans who knew more about Marcus Garvey than I did, you know, when I get, um, got here. So it, it's not saying, I don't know why we didn't um, get to learn about uh, Marcus Garvey, but the knowledge of him and his accomplishment, it wasn't something that I was aware of until right. I got here. I still have a lot more to learn about him, but I've gone through some of the um, success that he had and, you know, his accomplishments, but, you know, it's still, it's, it's, it's still a lot to learn about him and his accomplishments. Right. And it's, it's, it's weird, you know, to be honest with you, it's given the fact that I'm a Jamaican. I was born in Jamaica. I came to the United States when I was 15 years old. And to be honest, I can't remember much about <laughs> learning about Garvey in the school or anything like that. And, you know, it, 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 it had to take us coming to the United States and it, you know, it says it says a lot, you know, it says a lot to, to see that we have a national hero like Marcus Garvey um, that we celebrate oh, yeah. on August 17 every year. But yet still, I didn't oh, know yeah. much about Garvey. So do, do you think that if Garvey was taught in the schools, right, in Jamaica, all the schools, if you think that Garvey was taught, taught in the school, would black Jamaicans have a much more deeper pride about themselves and their blackness or even that of Africa if Garvey was starting the school? I do believe so uh, because um, the knowledge of self is really important. Right. Uh, so the lack of knowledge of self really causes to um, think less of ourselves. Right. And then we are then driven by the distractions right. or the false narrative that we hear about ourselves. So I do believe if it was um, taught in school, mm -hmm. I think you know, the black Jamaicans or just us as Jamaicans would have been, uh, have more pride right. in ourselves. I, I do think, you know, we are very resilient Mm -hmm. as Jamaicans, but I think just the pride in who we are. I think if it was taught to us, you know, what he has accomplished would have really um, given us the strength, mm -hmm. you know, to push past the barriers that sometimes um, prevent us from, you know, achieving, you know, what we are capable of. But, you know, I don't know if it is systematic uh, while we weren't um, become aware of the work that he have done, you know, especially overseas, because I think that would really empower us um, to let us know that we are not limited and that we can accomplish just about anything we put our minds to. Although you have Jamaicans with that mindset already, right, uh, right. but I think if it was school, you know, it would really um, empower us to, you know, move the barriers. Uh, that sometimes, you know, prevent us from really excelling. Right, right. Well, you know, well, even though I didn't learn much about Garvey, you know, I I came to the United States, and the truth is that the 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 the, the people that inspired me um, while I was here 
was really learning about Malcolm X and from Malcolm X to W.E.B. Du Bois and from Du Bois, then, you know, we, we, I rediscover Garvey once again. So for you, since Garvey, we, you know, both you and I didn't know much about Garvey, even though we're from Jamaica, right? Now, when you came here right. to the United States, who who are some uh, who are some of your notable educators are people who inspire you to want to make a difference um, in terms of black youth um, in education uh, or in other fields? Uh, you know, to be honest, um, you know, when I just started, um, you know, education wasn't really my focus. Mm. Um, but after I, um, you know, I mean, even after during, during college and after my undergraduate, I still didn't really have the desire to uh, become an educator. Uh, my first degree was criminal justice criminal because justice. I thought I was going to go back yeah, into the justice system, become uh, you know, continue my work as a police officer. Ah, um, but okay, you know, but, you know, once I um, I stepped out and I was actually volunteering in the restorative justice space, um, just to teach young people the impact of crime and mm-hmm. what, how it affects them and their community. But was there um, volunteering, someone introduced me to um, Atlanta Metro. That's how I got to Atlanta Metro. Right. But when I started teaching, I realized that, uh, you know, it's a space that I need to be. Uh, not just because of the knowledge that I've gained, but I, too, was a student who many didn't think uh, would have amount to anything. Right. But to go back to your question in regards to the educators that really... Um, inspire me. During my undergraduate um, studies, I was doing um, humanitarian humanitarian studies, like, like a class. Right. And I was introduced to W.E. Du Bois, Clyde mm-hmm. um, McKay, you know, those people. But when I really dive into what W.E. Du Bois was talking about, about double consciousness, I realized that was some of what we were dealing with. Mm-hmm. So when I reached in the classroom, you know, that was part of my focus to get the students to see themselves through their own eyes and not based on how society, um, you know, pictured them or framed them. So I would say um, W.E. Du Bois um, really inspired me. Uh, you have, who else I would say uh, really inspired me? But I, I would go back to, you know, W.E. Du Bois as one of the, the persons that really, um, you know, inspired me, and, um, you know, to Right. And, and, you know, and hope you know, although the approach was different, but, you know. Right. And it's, it's interesting, you know, um, in, my, in my younger days, you know, Du Bois, I was really fascinated by Du Bois uh, more than Booker T. Washington. But as I got older, I began to understand... Um, Booker T. Washington philosophy. And I begin now to embrace Booker T. Washington philosophy in terms of economic buildup and so forth. Um, in, 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 you know, and I, yes, both of them are tremendously important. And I think for me is yeah. that 
when looking back on education, and as you said, you know, I went to Rutgers University and I had some professors that didn't have much confidence in me, especially when I went on to graduate school. So I didn't, I didn't see, I didn't have the people, especially, especially, you know, in graduate school to motivate me, to inspire me. But the truth is that I always believe in myself and looking at the world at the time and looking how racism function in America and understanding how racism function through much of the world, it kind of motivate me to want to be some someone and motivate me to want to challenge the system. Now, like you, I never planned to go into education because my first degree is in criminal justice. And with my degree in criminal justice, I was looking to study law because I wanted to become a lawyer. Right. I wanted to become a lawyer because I didn't I didn't like the way how the police at the time interact with black people in the Bronx. And so I was quite idealistic. And so when I started to study criminal justice and the way the criminal justice, the way it was being taught and the application of it in real life, it didn't match up to me. It didn't it didn't make sense in what. They were teaching, um, teaching you know, what, what, what I was learning in school and the reality of mm-hmm. how I see the interaction with the police in my neighborhood. And that made me switch a little bit, but I, I end up graduating with my, you know, with, with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. But history had always been on my mind. The more I read history, the more I learn about history. I got fascinated by history and I decided that I will go into education. And, you know, I've been teaching, you know, so for the past 16, 18 years or so in, in, in education in the United States and in different parts of the world. Now, when you look at education in the United States, what, what would you say is the state of black education in the United States? The state of black education in the United States. When it, right. uh, you know, every... Yeah, go ahead. When it comes to... No, go ahead. No, you can continue. Okay. Yeah, so uh, the state of black education in the United States. Uh, I think, you know, we're still um, dealing with the systematic uh, oppression of, you know, how education is taught to black students or in the schools. Mm-hmm. But what I think, um, you know, there has to be change where the curriculum needs to uh, reflect, um, especially the black students, right. uh, not only for the black students, uh, but also to change the perspective of the white students and also the, the white teachers, because if they're not aware of the contributions, especially the contributions of black people in the country, they will continue to see um, the black students from the lens of oppression and the systematic, um, you know, racism that has been part of, you know, the education system. So I, with the state of uh, black education, I think um, there needs to be um, change in the curriculum and 
the curriculum needs to reflect, uh, you know, but, but what uh, black people have to do. Right, but how is the education going to reflect, um, especially when it comes into black neighborhood? When you look at the United States educational education system, it is, it is being taught in a very Eurocentric lenses. And so when you look at schools, mm-hmm. right, when you look at black schools, and we're taking public schools as one example now in the urban area, many of those teachers in the classroom don't look like the people that they're trying to educate. And often we see education, as I said, is very Eurocentric. How can the, the, the people who have been oppressing black and brown kids for century be capable of educating them? Um, and that's a, a great um, perspective uh, because, one, I read this book some time ago um, where that titled, You Can't Teach What You Don't Know. And it was, you know, if you don't understand the students, it's hard to connect with the students. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, being that a lot of the, the black students are overly punished for right. uh, things that we do that are similar to um, the white students. Right, right. So, you know, the thing, well, teachers need to be culturally um, competent. They need to be aware of um, the needs of the students and right. don't look at the students from the lens of what has been portrayed, the false narrative, because students have been punished just because they are black. Students have been um, told to leave classroom because of how they may respond. Mm-hmm. I've seen students who um, have been, you know, punished in regards to what their grades, what type of grade they receive mm-hmm. based on what they write, because they write about their experience and what they've seen in their community. And right, if they right. don't, other people that are not um, teachers that are not aware of their experiences, you know, they will look at those students um, differently. So, one, I believe the teachers. You know, being that we have more white teachers in the schools, they need to be culturally competent. Right, right. You know, so they have, they have to be culturally relevant where there have to be a lot of classes that teach them on how to. Um, because, you know, this is just how the school systems the system is right now. So we have to teach them how to um, educate the, the black students. Because it's not just knowledge. Right. You know, it's more than knowledge to come. Now, now for, for me, I would advocate that we need more black teachers in the classroom. And one of the reasons why I say that, you know, we see that in 1865, the Civil War ended. Mm-hmm. And when the Civil War ended, five years later in 1870, the first public high school was created for black and the first public high school for the nation was in Washington, D.C., and it was Dunbar High School. Now, in Dunbar High School, they had some of the best black teachers, right, that were just being educated um, and, and coming out. And because they couldn't find work, teaching work or professional work in the white established society, 
they were in many respects mm-hmm. forced to look within themselves. And so, and so Dunbar High School created some of the best students in the country. You know, they, they, um, they, they, they performed better than white students. And when you look at some of the most prominent um, um, leaders in, in those days, graduated from Dunbar High School. Now, the reason why this was successful is that they had qualified and good black educated um, teachers who cared about mm-hmm. their students. Now, 19, um, 1955, well, 54-55, we saw that Brown versus Board of Education in segregation, right? And as a result, now, mm-hmm. many of these schools were supposed to be integrated. Now, what happened to Dunbar High School, it became a community schools. And in many respects, in, 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 in creating a community schools now, you had more government bureaucracy super, superseding or supervising or controlling um, Dunbar School, and the school eventually deteriorated. Right and then Dunbar High School, which was the first in the nation, today is the poorest in terms of academic performance. And you can see the same thing across the board when it comes to urban schools where black and brown um, students attend. Now, the argument mm-hmm. that I'm trying to allude to, uh, I'm trying to make, is that segregation, in some respect was beneficial for black people, right? Because they were able mm-hmm. to keep together, to keep the culture alive and to educate their own in terms of quality education. The problem that becomes with integration now is that schools were poorly managed. Then we see many of the schools now were now start being they start hire predominantly white teachers. For instance, in my high school in the Bronx, I never had a black teachers. All of my teachers, they were white. Every single one of my teachers, they were white. I never had a black teacher. And that's in high school. And that was in high school, right? And when I, when I got oh. to college, I had very few, very few black professors, nonetheless. I did have some, but they were very few. And I, I mean, okay. I got involved or I got exposed to more black educators do what I was reading, right? And so I learned a lot about black educators um, of the past or uh, black educators that I didn't really specifically come in direct contact with, but I read about them. And those were the people who motivate me and inspired me as I go along. You know, I graduated from Rutgers University. And as you know, Malcolm X, W.E.B., Du Bois, you know, and, and others, and then from there, Garvey, so to speak. You know, so it's, it's, yeah. it's funny that, and, and as I said, is that if you have black school or, or urban schools or high school that is failing and the majority of the teachers are, that are in these schools are white, it's not, it's, it's, there, there, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. And yes, there's many contributor to why um, black kids are not performing well 
um, in 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 schools. There, right? You know, it, it's it's many it's many contributor to that. But oh yeah, it is. You know, but let me ask you a question. When when yeah. so when you were growing up in Jamaica, right? Um, what was yeah. education for you like? I would go to school, but I wasn't like pushing myself to do well academically. Mm-hmm. I leave high, um, primary school, went to high school. But, you know, in Jamaica, in, in regards to having black teachers, you're going to have all black teachers. Right. So right. that wasn't an issue. Right. You know, so even when my, my parents, my mom would encourage me um, to do evening class, I would pretend as if I'm going to evening class. Because <laughs> I still have in my mind that, you know, black, you know, I, you know this, this is not really uh, for me. Uh, I'll, I'll, I love to be there. I'll be in class every chance I get, uh, but I wasn't doing well. And it's like, it's not that I was okay with it, but mm-hmm. I wasn't worried any, you know, in any form, you know, if I do well or not. And I think I went to high school with the same perspective. However, uh, you know, so I went to high school in Jamaica. It's a little bit different. So you're going to the slow class when you don't pass common entrance. Uh, so you would consider one of the dunce students. You know, that's how they categorize right, right. Jamaica. It wasn't smart, uh, smart, but you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, but you know, grade seven. Um, you know, I would still do my work. I would be coming first in my in the slow class, right? right. So. Um, and I, you know, the grade eight, um, the same thing. I came first, so they promoted me um, to uh, uh, the, the mid-range students um, in high school. Right. But during that time, you was know, it things high, started to change wait, a bit. Was it high school or secondary school? Uh, high school, guys. Remember one time, high school, Jamaica, you know. Okay, Jamaica was divided. You had you had a high school, and then you have secondary schools. So people who went to secondary school, like myself weren't um, the smartest. Um, uh, correct, correct, so correct. You'd go, to the, yeah, you'd go to the secondary school to prepare yourself to come to the high school. But I go straight into high school because, you know, in Jamaica, high right. school starts at grade 7. Um, so, but, seven. you know, grade, yeah, high school starts um, grade 7. But okay. you have the secondary school, um, you know, that's due from 7 to 9. So mm-hmm. those students then move over to high school, right. you know, afterwards. But right. um, grade nine, um, I was doing okay. Uh, I had my neighbor, um, you know, who she came first the previous year. Mm-hmm. So I was challenging myself, no, um, to beat her because she was telling me that she was going to beat me. So I eventually came first in grade nine. Uh, she came second. But, you know, then things started to change in my mind. You know, in regards to uh, maybe I can actually do better. Right. Um, so I eventually get promoted to the students who have the, the top tier students uh, in high school. You know, the students who pass their common entrance to go into those classes. So I was with those students, and you know, I was doing well um, the first part, and then um, midway through tenth grade, you know, I start to lapse again. You know, maybe um, you know got distracted and stuff like that. Um, so that was the, the mindset throughout high school. Um, but even though I didn't do so well, um, you know, up to 10th grade, I think there was a shift somewhere um, there 
because if I move from the, the slowest class to become a part of the common entrance students who were the top students in the high school, right? Um, you know, but I really wasn't really paying attention. You know, I still had self-doubt and I still lack confidence in myself. Um, but, you know, in regards to being in Jamaica, um, a lot of males um, tend to take on that um, persona uh, as if, um, education is not as valuable um, oh. because, you know, it is mostly pushed, um, you know, females are doing better, right. are better than us. It's interesting because where I grew up, you know, in, in Franklin Town there and the school I went to, well, at least in my community or where um, in my family household, education was quite important for us. And I think for me, I wasn't the smartest kid in, in in high school. I went to secondary school in Jamaica. I didn't have the opportunity to actually go to high school. So started high school here. I didn't have the best grade, to be honest with you. And I think it was when I mm-hmm. actually got to college, right? I went to a community college and... My, you know, going to a community college, I was an A student. So I graduated on the honors roll and everything and then got to Rutgers University, right? So I actually went to community college and then from community college to Rutgers University. And even when I went to Rutgers University, I wasn't, I, I wasn't the best undergraduate student nonetheless. Um, you know, I didn't have that much people to motivate me in college, but it, it is this belief of not wanting to fail and this belief of understanding mm-hmm. America, right? Understanding how race plays a role in, in, in the United States. You know, I was 23, 24 at the time and beginning to see things, right? It begins to shift Correct. my view, uh, you know, both socially, politically um, about the United States. And I started to get in more serious but for you in 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 seeing your journey and um in, in, you got into education somewhat accidentally is that the correct phrase or yeah but, but you know um you know whilst i i was here and um in teaching and you know going a couple of years i'm um, in the classroom Mm-hmm. I saw a friend of mine from high school mm-hmm. posted um, the, you know, the, the the book, the pictures from high school. Right. And it's so funny. Um, I put on that picture, you know, that I wanted to be a teacher. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't even should be thinking that because <laughs> I wasn't doing well as a you know, no teacher. But you know, looking back and realize, you know, maybe a part of me mm-hmm. knew that was something that I was going to do. But, you know, then in high school, I was good at sports, and I thought at the time I was going to get into um, G.C. Foster College. I didn't get into G.C. Foster College right out of high school um, because I didn't have the grades um, to get in. Um, but so a year later, uh, I like to tell people that I, w- I still didn't have the grades, but uh, eventually I got in a year later. Um, you know, I like to tell people on grace and I went there and I passed all my classes okay. at JC Foster. But okay. I literally see my way through. Um, so eventually I was supposed to be a, a, a PE teacher. Okay. Uh, you know, after GC Foster College, but I didn't get a, a PE job 
and I accidentally, you know, joined the police force, and you know, from the police force, I came to the the states. Okay. Um, but it was while I was in the states, um, doing during my undergraduate, and I shared with someone earlier today that um, my first semester was what really changed everything. Um, I literally, you know, whilst I was in Jamaica, whilst I went to college in Jamaica, um, at GC Foster College, um, you know, I literally see my way through. I think I graduated maybe 2.1. And then my first semester here at Lincoln, I finished the semester with all A's. Okay. And it was, it was that moment I started to, well, actually, I didn't even pay attention. I, didn't, I wasn't even really thinking anything really. I, that's my grade. But it was after the second semester when I made the dean's list, I started to question myself. Mm. You know, where this ability to You know, so all the time growing up in Jamaica, in high school, doing nothing, passing or failing, uh, my classes, the ability to do well was already within. It's just a shift in thinking I mm. needed to have. Okay. And that's what happened when I began um, and, you know, from there, I haven't looked back, but, and, and that happened to a lot of us, you know, sometimes, you know, we realize our potential late, but sometimes it's due to the environment, you know, we are in and what we are told when we are in those environments. And, right, right. So, so you, you have been teaching, um, for the past few years, um, yeah, 10 years. in, in, in the South. What what has your experience been like in terms of education? What do you see that are some of the obstacles that black students face and black male students in particular? Well, um, some of the challenges um, the students face, I would say lack of resources for one. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of students have to work and sometimes do two jobs while they're going to school mm. and also uh, a lack of um, role models right. I think you know if the students have uh, role models I think it will um, help them to you know navigate their way forward and that's one of the reasons I believe you know having black males in the classroom is important um, because for a black male student to break the barrier, uh, you know, break those preconceived notions or, or change the narrative of, you know, of themselves, they need to see black males in those spaces because it's easier to become what you see. Right. It's not that they are going to become people, but right. now they can see the possibility, you know, beyond their environment. The possibility. A lot of them are coming from environments, yeah, some are coming from environments where, you know, most of what they see are not positive. And not all black male students right. are, you know, with those kind of students. But I've seen black male students that um, especially started college who had um, great um, SAT score mm-hmm. and still fail because they don't want to see or associate themselves with success. Because mm-hmm. that, you know, so black males around them to reinforce the importance of that excellence. You know, it will help them to not fall through the cracks um, because some just don't want to stand out because they, they want to fit in with their, with their peers. Mm. Uh, and and if, if they're not 
um, guided early, you know, those same students with the ability to do well may end up dropping out because they just don't want to um, fit in. So the, 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 the academic prowess has to be something that we edify, especially when we're seeing our um, black students doing it, especially black males. So mm-hmm. it becomes something natural. Okay, okay. Now, now that is tremendously important, you know, to have that role model, right? You talk about the lack of resources to... You talk about um, um, students um, sometimes having two jobs. You know, I remember when I was mm-hmm. in college, you know, I was working two jobs, right, um, when I was in college. So I, I, I understand, you know, exactly what you're saying, um, so to speak. So here you are. You come from humble beginning um, in Jamaica, um, also, you mentioned you were part of the police force too. And today in 2023, you have over 30 plus books, right? I think yeah. you have written about 30 plus books so far. So what is your aim, purpose, and reasons for writing so many books given that you are relatively new on the scene in academia, in the academia world? Well, uh, you know, when I just started, um, you know, writing, I wanted to share uh, my perspective, you know, from my first book, Going Beyond Limitations, how I overcome um, poverty. So I want young people to realize that they don't have to stay stuck in their situation or circumstances. They can. And then I wrote a student article so let students know that they can come from a low-performing student to a top student. Because I was speaking at a college and uh, I shared that story of becoming a top student on campus with the highest GPA. Mm-hmm. And the lady was saying, you need to put that information in a book and share with students and how they can achieve academic success. Right. But to answer your question in regards to why uh, writing so many books, um, I wanted to share the knowledge that I've gained over time. So whatever area that I've gained um, the knowledge, if it's in discipline, uh, I want to have something that I can share in discipline. If it is in, you know, unleashing your inner power, I, I share that. But beyond writing so many books and sharing the knowledge, I am on a journey to, um, you know, sell the books, to help other students to go to college. So most of the proceeds will be going towards helping students um, to further their education. Good. But also one of the main reasons uh, for me to write so many books, I want young people, especially those who are coming from humble beginnings, to realize that they don't have to limit themselves. So one of the thing, things that, you know, for me, I wanted to be that Jamaican that wrote um, the most book. So that has been a motivation. Um, You know, so to let these kids who are coming from poor um, communities who didn't do so well or didn't have the support or the resource um, to do what they want, to realize that you don't have to have that start to do great things or to challenge yourself to do more than the ordinary. 
So the books is not just um, to share the knowledge with the those who read them, but also to let people who are young people who are coming from humble beginnings know that they don't have to set limits. Okay, and so, you know, on themselves, right? Okay. Um, so, you know, the, Right. So, and the the first book that you wrote was what going um, going beyond limitation. Was was that the first book? Well, actually, that was the second. That was the second. Uh, the first was the experiences through the human eyes, which was oh. a poetry book where I talk about you know some of the challenges that I've experienced and some of the challenges that I've seen around me growing up. Uh, you know, and how you know those challenges really become a part of um, what really inspire and motivate me to. Um, you know, continue on my journey. And some of those things that I wrote in, you know, the experiences through the human eyes, you know, came back to me later on, later on my journey, when I already realized that I have potential. So I started to reflect on some of the challenges that I've overcome and the things that I've seen. And that's what really birthed um, the experiences through the human eyes. Right. So you are an educator you are an author, you are a motivational speaker. And I think with someone of your statue and talent in the classroom or outside of the classroom is truly going to have a remarkable impact on black males or black kids or black students overall. Because I believe that you need more of us, especially male also, in the classroom because sure. we don't have a lot of black male teachers in the classroom. And I, you know, I, I strongly believe in having us inside the classroom and not just having us inside the classroom, but actually black teachers who care and who wants to make a difference in changing the trajectory and changing the lives of black students, because I think we are in a state of crisis when it comes to the public educational school system in the United States. We do know that black higher education is on the increase, but for whatever reason, their increase in education, their income um, is not growing as fast as, as, as it should. And, you know, I think with Black education should also come with black economic empowerment because having black education and don't have economic empowerment is not going to change the condition of our people. And I believe that those two things, economic foundation, educational foundation that can reflect the community of black people will tremendously make a difference. Um, because, you know, the school system is failing us. The public school system is failing us. And we need more male teachers in the classroom. We need more individuals, black individuals, that can inspire our younger generation. Um, you know, and for yeah. me, go ahead. And, you know, just to piggyback on what you just said about, you know, being in the classroom, uh, as you mentioned, um, have it needs to be educators who care. Um, that that's critical um, because I know that it's not, as I said before, it's not just having the knowledge to be in the classroom. 
anybody, if you can read, you can be in the classroom. Right. If you're not able to connect with the students, you're doing the students a disservice. Right. Right? Because you can have all the knowledge there is. But if you're not connecting with the students, especially the students who, you know, have been treated, you know, unfairly. Right. Over time. Mm-hmm. You know, so being able to connect with those students um, is, um, you know, it's, it's very important. But also you mentioned about the economic empowerment and where teachers need to get more money. I think if that change, you know, more people will go into um, education. And you have seen a lot of people are moving away from education because they have um, better opportunities. And sometimes, you know, if you're in a space and you don't feel like you belong, um, some teachers, you know, black teachers or black males, um, they tend to leave uh, if they don't feel as if they belong in the space. So a lot of times it seems as if they're not welcome um, in the space. And, um, you know, because sometimes it's just one black male teacher in an entire school system or a black male teacher. And then you have a, uh, a coach. And mm-hmm. that's it. And sometimes it's only the, the, the coach in the school. Um, you know, so that needs to change in regards to having more. Um, but you know, you have to have those superintendents become a part of the advocate um, for the the black teachers. So you have to, you know, we have to get some of those allies to talk and 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 make it public that they need to, you know, you can't say you want um, equity or equality and you're not voicing your opinion in regards to getting more black teachers to be in those spaces. Because if they don't talk about it, some of the teachers may not even reach out or try to apply. Right. Um, because in their minds, sometimes they think they're going to be denied of the opportunity. Right, right. Now you talk about equity. What's your 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 your... What's your perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion? What's your take on that? Um, my take on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I will take it from the perspective of having more black, you know, I'm from the educational perspective. The diversity and equity. Um, equity is not just, for me, is not just uh, putting people there. Um, uh, and especially in some of these schools, because if if you're going to give just you know, for instance, you're going to give ten thousand dollars to a school or ten thousand to all schools, you know, um, that doesn't mean things will change because you may give a school ten thousand that may need one thousand, uh, but another school may need thirty thousand, you know. So you have to be based on the need of um, the school. You mm-hmm. provide the resources. Um, but uh, and the same thing goes with the diversity. It's not just to have someone there in the school. You need people there that will do the work for one, but you also need to provide the resources for the mm-hmm. person you bring in to the school uh, to provide um, for the students or to take care of the students because it's not just having them there and that provided them with the resources to do the work that they are there to do. Right. Um, so for me, when it comes to you know diversity, inclusion, and equity, it's not just to get someone there because 
you have read recently that a lot of these companies or schools, you know, bring in black people, but they don't, they one, they don't have a voice. And if they don't have a voice, it's a disservice because if they're not able to share from their perspective what they believe will help um, the black community or the people that they are serving that are black, the black students, then it's also a disservice because then their voices are not heard. So it's not just having them there in the space, but also provide a platform for them to share their perspective and how you know they can contribute to the change that needs to happen. Well, 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 well said. I absolutely agree with 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 that. Um, and you know, I think many schools, you know, are have that in their their on their website diversity equity and inclusion but you know often i see that many schools are not really working especially the dominant schools of the white elite so to speak or white america so to speak um they have these things on their website but in reality i don't believe that they are working towards making schools diverse making school equitable um, and inclusive. Um, you know, it, it's, that's just my personal opinion. On okay. know, If you really look at it, sometimes, um, you know, when some of us get into, um, you know, those spaces, you know, we get lost. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, um, you know, you find, Blacks um, who were doing extremely well, mm-hmm. you know, they're the ones who sometimes get into those space, but they get lost or uh, they get other opportunities within. So right. the voice are not heard. You know what I'm saying? Uh, they may get more money to be there, but, you know, we need to hear the voices and to right. amplify the, the other voices that sometimes are not heard. It's like you have to have the, the black person sitting at the table, not sitting there to 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 um, you know just to be there, but sit there just so they can share from their perspective right. what needs to happen. It is not to say everything you share as a black person will be applicable to right. the, the change, but at least you know your voice needs to be heard. Um, so you can hear from a different perspective because you can't have someone, um, non-black speak on the need of black people, um, because you may not understand the exact need of black people. So you have to have the black people there speaking on their own behalf. Right. Um, so I think that's the way the equity and inclusion and diversity comes in. Um, the, the black voice is important. Um, and because... Who is going to speak better for you than you? Then, right, you know what I'm saying? Right. right. So the representation is very, very important. Um, now, if so. if my the listeners who are listening to this program, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to purchase a couple of your books or one of your books, how can they reach you? How can they get in touch with Dr. Cross? Well, um, on most of the well, well, most of the social media, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm also on um, Facebook, and to find me on LinkedIn, it is Richard A. Cross, and also Richard A. Cross, 
on Facebook and Richard A. Cross on um, Instagram. Um, to purchase the books, uh, most of my books um, are on Amazon. Um, I have some of my books on my website, which is richardacross.com, um, but the website doesn't have all the books. Right. Um, so to find all the books, you know, type in Richard A. Cross um, on Amazon and you should find me. Um, I want to type in Going Beyond Limitations. Most of the other books will come up. Will come up. Uh, so that's where um, the listeners can find me. And reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, we can talk more about the books and anything else that they want to talk about. Well, Dr. Cross, I appreciate you stopping by, unlocking our voices and give your perspective and, you know, give us some information in, in, uh, on, in terms of your books, um, also your perspective on education. And, you know, we will be calling on you again in the future, you know, um, to discuss other topics as I see fit as I move forward in, in this program. But I want to thank you. Um, is there any last words that you would like to say, sir? Uh, well, thanks for having me on Unlocking Our Voices. I believe this is a, a great platform for us to share our insights and perspective. And the work, you know, we, 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 it's, not, it, it's, not been, it's, not, it's not a lot of us doing this type of work. Um, so I think it's important um, that this platform, you know, is created um, because it gives us an opportunity um, to share from our perspective right. uh, where we are sharing, you know, to help to uh, empower and educate others and not just black people, but all people um, needs to hear um, from us. So I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to share here on unlocking our voices. Well, thank you, Dr. Cross, and we will definitely speak again. Thank you for stopping by, sir. Okay, Mr. Fuller. No problem. I appreciate it. All right. No problem, sir. Now, thanks so much for tuning into our show. I hope our conversation with Dr. Richard Cross has given you a different perspective and understanding on the state of black education in the United States. Hopefully, that you now that you have this information, you will start paying more attention to each other and bridging our unity. And also in the Caribbean, we are connected, whether we are in Latin America, whether we're in the Caribbean, or whether we are in the United States or Europe. Our unity is essentially important. As I've always said, the black diaspora has been continued to be connected to one another through our history and heritage. Let us, the black diaspora, come together, claim our union across the globe, and the world will hear our conviction. Let's stay connected and keep uplifting each other. Stay tuned for another episode where we dive deep into another fascinating topic that will help unlocking the voices of the Black diaspora. Thanks so much for listening, 
and have a great rest of your week. If you enjoyed Unlocking Our Voices, recommend us and let's grow our conversations, community, and power. Stay tuned for our next episode and don't forget to sign up for our notifications. Find us on social media at Unlocking Our Voices and on our website at www.unlockingourvoices.com. Thanks for listening and helping to amplify the voices of the Black diaspora. 